about spring in Colorado that I love. There's something about spring in Colorado that my wife, Nancy, loves more than me. Around the end of February or the 1st of March, after all the plants and grass in our yard have been dead or dormant for five or six months, Nancy's ready to see new life. In the middle of winter, we love to go on vacation. We've got a, we've got a tradition where we head out to Mexico for seven to ten days every January or February where we can be in a warmer, greener place where we can enjoy the, the sun and the sand and the water and the palm trees. But in that week in paradise, we taste, we get just a taste of, of what spring looks like in Colorado. And our hope is not in our vacation, but our hope is in the spring in Colorado. I'll explain that as we go along. Sure enough, around the middle of March, around my granddaughter Evie's birthday, we start to see the first fruits of new life in our yard. Nancy's bulbs begin to sprout, and we get to see the blooms of the first flower, which is a crocus. I didn't even know what a crocus was until this week. I had to ask Nancy. I thought that's something you do when you, when you die. These first fruits are a sure indication that spring is in the air, and soon everything will be in full bloom and be beautiful. In November, December, and January, in the dead of winter, we can tend to forget about what warm sunshine, full gardens, and green grass feel like and look like. Winter's great for a while, but come February or March, snow starts getting a little bit old. Brown starts to wear on you, and you start to get the itch to get outside and enjoy all the things that are spring and summer in Colorado. You get that feeling? You've got that bug about right now? If Nancy and I aren't careful, our longing for spring could cause us to miss the goodness and the beauty of winter. The snow is actually beautiful. It actually provides opportunities for outdoor enjoyment that summer doesn't necessarily provide. Think of all the winter sports that we can enjoy in Colorado. Without winter, we wouldn't have snow in the Rocky Mountains. And if we didn't have snow in the Rocky Mountains, we would not have full rivers or lush grasses and gardens that we enjoy in the spring and the summer. We long for spring while striving to enjoy all that is good in the wintertime. Seeing those first fruits sprout up helps us enjoy the rest of the winter while longing for the green and warmth of spring and summer. And what I hope you see and feel today is that there's going to be a contrast between enjoying life right now and having our hope placed um, in what we don't fully possess right now. Easter reminds us of hope. And the Webster Dictionary describes hope like this, a feeling that what is wanted will happen, or a desire accompanied by an expectation. You see, hoping for something is not necessarily bad. In Proverbs 16, 9, 
Solomon says that the heart of man plans his ways. It's good to make plans. It's good to have hopes and dreams. But the end of that verse goes on to say, but the Lord directs his steps. And oftentimes, the plans that we make, the Lord directs our steps in a different way so that we don't fully realize those plans and those dreams and those hopes that we have laid out. When we put too much hope in any outcome that God has not specifically promised, it can lead to despair, anger, depression, when those hopes and dreams don't come to pass. When we're relying on the hope of a circumstance to change or improve so that we can finally enjoy life, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment over and over again. We're encouraged in Scripture to eat, drink, and enjoy. That's what the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, to, to eat, drink, and enjoy. Even though this life is vain, it's passing, it's futile, there's trials, we're to eat, drink, and enjoy. It's good, we have freedom to do that, we're called to do that. But at the same time, we're instructed that if we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. So therefore, we're, instruct we're instructed in Scripture to both enjoy this life under the sun while placing our ultimate hope in a Savior and His sure promises for our ultimate satisfaction and joy. We have dreams. We have goals. We have aspirations that may not be contrary to what He wants for us. So the problem may not be in our hopes and dreams. It's more likely that we place ultimate value on our hopes and dreams to satisfy us. You know, we all deal with loss and disappointment at different times. We all have winters that are long, and sometimes our winters are longer than others. Three months ago, in the dead of winter, Many of us had hoped that our lives would look different on Easter of 2020. For many of us, life looks completely different than we could have ever imagined. And I want you to know you're in good company. We're in this together. Um, this worldwide pandemic shows no favorism or prejudice. Let me name some of these losses and some of these disappointments that people I know in this body and in this community are experiencing right now. You may have lost your alone time because the kids and your husband are now in your space 24-7. For those of you that are um, uh, extroverts, you lost your people time. And, and Zoom is not quite cutting it for you. For most of us, our daily rhythm and routine has been completely thrown out the door. For some of you, you've lost your job. I know one family who needed to sell their house, and they sold it for $25,000 less than what they thought they were going to sell it for. Maybe your wedding has been delayed. Maybe the visitor list or the, or the wedding list of people coming has been reduced from 200 to 10. Your, your retirement date has been moved out or maybe postponed indefinitely. Your adoption 
has been delayed. Walking at the high school or college graduation that you had always dreamed of is not going to be a reality. You're missing playing baseball, running track, lacrosse in your senior year. The possibility of a Czech mission trip is looking grim. You have loved ones that are sick. And there's some that have had loved ones who have died. The first thing that I think we need to acknowledge is that these are genuine and real disappointments and trials of people we know and love. And we need to grieve as they are grieving. No matter how trivial you think um, that particular trial is, it's a trial that our providential God has given them, and we're to grieve while they grieve. They are real losses and disappointments. And as we grieve for one another, and as we process our own circumstances, we need to let the loss and disappointment purify and redirect our hope. This is critical because when we suffer loss, it actually reveals what we are ultimately hoping in for satisfaction and joy. And even though we live in a world that was created good and perfect by our good and perfect creator, there's pain and suffering and trials. That's why Jesus came to set all things right, to correct everything that is marred and defiled. Listen to what John has to say in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, the God of eternity has put eternity on our hearts. We have a longing for better days that can only be realized in its fullness when Jesus returns to claim his own and make all things new. We watched the, um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and in the last episode, after the ring was destroyed, Sam said to Gandalf, is everything sad going to become untrue? And Gandalf responded by saying simply, a great shadow has departed. The answer is that everything sad is going to become untrue because Jesus is going to make all things new. And then in verse 5 of Revelation 21, he said this, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy 
and they're true. Take it to the bank. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Anything that is good in this life, brothers and sisters, is only a shadow of better things, of the best things to come. I want to just press into loss and disappointment for just a minute. Loss and disappointment is universal, and it's not exceptional. Loss and disappointment are guaranteed, not unexpected. Every relationship is lost to time. So is every penny of everyone's wealth, and ultimately so is every life. Loss and disappointment should not be surprising. It is the basic, it is basic to the course of every life. Even if you get everything you want out of life, everything you believe you need to be fully happy, in the, in the end, it will never be yours. The more you have, the more you have to lose. The more you love what you have, the more deeply it hurts you when you lose it. When you know and believe these truths, it actually is freeing, and it frees you to enjoy life right now. And while enjoying our life right now, we long to be with our, in our heavenly home with the one who created us to be with him forever. Everything in this life is vain or futile. If you remember back when we taught through Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word for vain was hevel, or it's a mist, it's a vapor, it's, it's passing away. It has no substance. And there's, there's nothing to ultimately hang on to in this life without faith in Christ. Some people might say, just have faith. Well, faith in what? Trust in what? Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. 14, uh, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Your faith is worthless if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. And he goes on in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, again, worthless, and you're still in your sins. Verse 18, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus lives, those who believe in him have an ultimate and sure hope. For us to know true hope, we don't need an ideal or some worn out uh, platitude that we, uh, what we need is a savior. We need a living, breathing, resurrected person and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. King Jesus. Paul continues in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And what Paul is saying is that in Adam all are dead is the same thing that Paul has said. And that the wages of sin is death. 
that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all are dead in Adam. But in Christ, those who have faith in Christ are alive. They shall be made alive. But each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then it is coming all who belong to Christ. You see, knowing that Christ is, that Jesus is alive and that by his resurrection he secured the resurrection of all who would believe in him gives us freedom to enjoy our life now. And by the way, um, this is not our best life now. Our best life now is we're going to be with the one who created us in the heavens, in the new earth, in the new heaven. And so knowing that Jesus is alive and that by his resurrection, he secured the resurrection of all who would believe in him, and it gives us the freedom to enjoy this life now while awaiting a glorious reunion with our Father. So here it is. When the winters of life get long, and they get long, and, they get, and, they're, and they're disappointing at times, and when we start to despair because of loss and disappointment, we can metaphorically think of back to the garden, Nancy's garden, and seeing those first fruits sprouting up that give her hope that spring and summer are, around the, are right around the corner. We can gaze down when we're disappointed, when we're in despair, we can gaze down at the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection and let hope spring eternal knowing that all things will be made new. Jesus' promise of triumph over death and a resurrection to eternal life is an invitation. It's an invitation for you and I to enjoy the beauty of life in this world, no matter how fleeting it is. Jesus' death and resurrection has purchased your freedom to enjoy what you have, no matter what the circumstance to enjoy your vacation, even though it's going to be over in a flash. To enjoy parenting your preschoolers, even though you didn't sign up for homeschooling, but enjoying them knowing that they're going to be gone in the blink of an eye. Enjoy your friendships. Enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your productivity at work, or maybe your lack of productivity at work these days. Enjoy whatever health you have left in your body. Enjoy and be thankful for however, however much money you have left after a stock market correction. Enjoy the winters of life. And we can do that because our future has been secured by the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection. All of these good gifts that we've been, that, that, that we've been given to enjoy um, won't last. And yes, some of them will cause loss and disappointment. And yes, it will hurt when some of these good gifts are gone. These good gifts are delicious. They're God-given, God-glorifying appetizers for the hearty and satisfying meal that's still to come. They are true and worthy foretastes of the banquet spread for all peoples. These good gifts are from God. These good gifts from God are only meant to whet our appetites for the best that is yet to come. 
We are human. We're not God. And therefore, we, we are often focused on what we want from this life. But Jesus doesn't promise to give us more of what death will only steal away. He wants to give us what get, death can't touch. And if you know Jesus, he's given that to you. And there's nothing that can touch it. He's given himself and the sure hope of a future resurrection where we will be with him forever. I'm going to read you a quote from a secular psychologist that has no ultimate value other than for me to contrast it to what is true. Speaking of hope, she said this, For the hopeless, hope is a match in a dark tunnel, a moment of light just enough to reveal the path ahead and ultimately the way out. Hope is a flashbulb that lights up a room, revealing everything in it. And the room goes black, leaving an imprint in our memory of the hidden landscape. What this secular psychologist does is offers a good platitude and some positive thinking. But she misses the object of our hope. The one who promises, whose promises are always true. When our circumstances appear to be hopeless, the match that we strike, the flash that lights up the room, is the memory of Jesus hanging on the cross, beaten and bloody and dead. It's also the memory of an empty tomb where we're reminded that Jesus conquered death and he's the first fruits of our resurrection. This reality gives us the freedom to enjoy our circumstances now while rightly placing our hope in Jesus' death and resurrection. And let me ask, do you believe this? The answer to the question certainly has an impact on you and I for all of eternity. But believing this reality that Jesus is, a, is the first fruits of our resurrection, that he is on his throne, it informs how we live today. Our lives are shaped by what we hope in and what we hope for. The fulfillment of our desires is not necessarily a bad thing. It can actually be a good thing. However, when we put our ultimate hope in the fulfillment of these good desires to bring us satisfaction, we will oftentimes end up sad, angry, depressed, even suicidal. The hope we have as Christians is a sure hope. And it's anchored in the promises of our living, our reigning, loving, and sovereign king. This hope is founded in the reality of an empty tomb. It's grounded in the understanding that Jesus, who willingly endured torture and beating, who laid his life down, nobody took it from him, was buried for three days and rose again from the dead. That's what our hope is founded in. And if you have put your faith in hope, 
your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you can trust in his promises that he will bring you all the way through and all the way home. This life is full of goodness and it's full of hardship. By being reminded of the resurrected and reigning Jesus being the first fruits of yours and my resurrection, it gives us the ability. It frees us up to enjoy the winters of life today. And it allows us to have our hope set on the coming springtime, eternal springtime, where all things will be made new. And you will forever be in your eternal home, living forever with your eternal father and your eternal family. And before I pray, I just want to say a word to, to anybody that is tuning in that has not experienced the joy and the hope that I'm talking about. And there are temporal things on this earth that we can put our hope in that will always disappoint. Not always, but oftentimes they will disappoint and they will cause loss. But without faith and hope in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, there is no ultimate hope. There is no ultimate peace. There is no resurrection of the dead. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at today, if you are without hope, is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He's waiting with arms open. Would you pray with me? Father, we bless you. We thank you for technology. Uh, we thank you, for God, for all that you have providentially have uh, tuning in to uh, this message of hope. God, we thank you for what uh, Easter represents and reminds us of. We thank you for the reminder, Lord Jesus, that you emptied yourself of all the rights that you enjoyed and you became human and you walked on this uh, marred and defiled earth for 33 years in the midst of great trials and temptation and you never sinned. And you willingly set your face towards Jerusalem and laid your life down so that we could have ultimate life. And I thank you that you did not stay in the tomb, that three days later, uh, what we celebrate today, that you victoriously rose again from the dead. And I thank you for the words of Paul that we're reminded that your resurrection is a first fruits of our resurrection. And I thank you, God, that because of faith in your uh, perfect life, your sacrificial death and your victorious resurrection, that we can actually find joy in the winters of life and that we can uh, place a, our sure hope in the resurrection of the saints, that one day you'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more weeping, there'll be no more suffering, and there'll be no more death. And we long for that day when we can be with you, Father, and in the place that you created for us. We love you, and we pray all of this in the name of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Love you.
Have a great Easter.